So it's becoming a tradition that on the weekend of July 4th, I give a sermon related to American Jewish history, particularly early American Jewish history. In contrast to the intensity of Israel's Independence Day, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, which happens in May, American celebration of the 4th of July can sometimes feel disconnected from our history. While we are enjoying barbecues and fireworks and vacation, how often do we take time as families and communities to really reflect on the founding of our nation? On this Shabbat, I would like us to study a different kind of text than we usually do. Rather than a piece of Torah, a piece of Bible, I thought we would study an exchange of letters, very famous letters you may have read before, between the Jewish community of Newport, Rhode Island, and President George Washington. Have any of you, just out of curiosity, visited the Newport to Rose Synagogue before? Just raise your hand. Oh, good. Yeah, you're all, you're all experts, right? So these letters are one of the most famous texts of early American Jewish history, which should become obvious. Part is that, partly it's that we don't have a lot of texts of early colonial American Jewish history, and part of it is that it's really special to imagine letters between our first president and such an early and well-established Jewish community. So just for context, we're in August of 1790, three months after Rhode Island has joined the United States by ratifying the Constitution, and George Washington is visiting Newport for a public appearance in order to rally public support for the new Bill of Rights. As part of the welcoming ceremonies for the President of the United States, Moses Mendez, and I never say it right, Sechas, I think is how you're supposed to say it, Sechas, Sechas, this is like, Cantor Barrick with her Sephardic roots is here. So Seishas, then president of congregation Yeshuat Yisrael, which later becomes the Tarot Synagogue, was one of the community leaders given the honor of addressing President Washington. There were approximately 300 primarily Sephardic Jews in Newport in 1790. And in the entire new country of the United States of America, there were no more than one in a thousand residents who were Jewish. Prior to the Revolutionary War, many of the Jewish residents of Newport had not been considered full citizens of the colony of Rhode Island because they were Jewish. So let's read along together as we first read what Moses and what the congregation wrote or really addressed to President Washington. Permit the children of the stock of Abraham to approach you with the most cordial affection and esteem for your person and merits, and to join with our fellow citizens in welcoming you to Newport. With pleasure, we reflect on those days, those days of difficulty and danger when the God of Israel, who delivered David from the peril of the sword, shielded your head in the day of battle. And we rejoice to think that that same spirit who rested in the bosom of the greatly beloved Daniel, enabling him to preside over the provinces of the Babylonish, Babylonian Empire, rests and ever will rest upon you, enabling you to discharge the arduous duties of chief magistrate in these states. So first, notice how automatically he uses biblical allusions, which he assumes that the devout Christian President Washington will appreciate. 
He takes two of the greatest heroes of the Hebrew Bible, King David and Daniel, both people who are in danger, who are invulnerable, but who succeed and overcome their greater foes, whether it be Goliath or a lion, in their stories. And he also makes sure to attribute this less to the will of the people and more to God. And not just any God, but the God of Israel. It's also notice that he doesn't call them Jews. What does he call them? The stock of Abraham. So from the beginning, American Jews would often describe themselves as the people of Abraham, sometimes the people of Israel or Israelites, but very rarely as Jews. So if you keep on reading, deprived as we heretofore have been of the invaluable rights of free citizens, remember they did not all have citizenship before, we now with a deep sense of gratitude to the almighty, disposer of all events, behold a government erected by the majesty of the people, a government which to bigotry gives no sanction, to persecution no assistance, but generosity affording to all liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship, deeming every one of whatever nation, tongue, or language equal parts of the great governmental machine. This is so ample and extensive federal union whose basis is philanthropy, mutual confidence, and public virtue, we cannot but acknowledge to be the work of the great God, who ruleth in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, doing whatever seemeth him good. So not only is there a notion and a continued emphasis that they are equal citizens, but it's attributed to God using lots of biblical metaphors and language for who and what God means. And with a real sense of humility and gratitude, recognizing that they weren't citizens before, and now they're equal. He ends, for all these blessings of civil and religious liberty, which we enjoy under an equal benign administration, we desire to send up our thanks to the ancient of days, the great preserver of men, beseeching him that the angel who conducted our forefathers through the wilderness into the promised land may graciously conduct you through all the difficulties and dangers of this mortal life. And when, like Joshua, full of days and full of honor, you are gathered to your fathers, may you be admitted into the heavenly paradise to partake of the water of life and the tree of immortality. Done and signed by order of the Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island, on August 17th of 1790. So he concludes not only with a continued prayer and gratitude to God, but a particular blessing for Washington being watched over and being compared to yet a third biblical hero, being compared to Joshua with this sense that somehow God is watching over Washington and will protect him and that he'll live out his days. If you remember, Joshua is who takes over for Moses and is the successful military commander that enables the Israelites to conquer the land of Israel after they've made it over the Jordan. As you read through this, you know it's hard to have a conversation, but it is July and we are a smaller group. Is there anything else that you just want to highlight or emphasize or questions that you have about the letter from the congregation in Newport? You can always ask me during the Oneg. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Newport, Rhode Island, which was a very successful port town, had one synagogue, which was predominantly Sephardic, right? So Jews from uh, Northern Africa, from Spain, uh, as well as probably at that point, even from uh, what becomes the Ottoman Empire. So they had, you know, a real congregation in Newport that it already tells you a lot that they would allow a member of the Jewish community to be part of the ceremonies when the president came to Newport. Yeah. So if you turn, if you turn over the page, you get the response from George Washington, who says that while I receive with much satisfaction your address replete with expressions of affection and esteem, I rejoice in the opportunity of assuring you that I should always retain a graceful remembrance, a grateful remembrance of the cordial welcome I experienced in my visit to Newport from all classes of citizens, right? From all classes of citizens. The reflection on the days of difficulty and danger which are past is rendered the more sweet from a consciousness that, are, that they are succeeding by days of uncommon prosperity and security. If we have wisdom to make the best use of the advantages with which we are now favored, we cannot fail under the just administration of a good government to become a great and happy people. The citizens of the United States of America have a right to applaud themselves for having given to mankind examples of an enlarged and liberal policy, a policy worthy of imitation. All possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. It is now no more than toler that toleration is spoken of, as it was by the indulgence of one class of people, that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent national gifts. For happily, the government of the United States, and he repeats the phrase, which gives to bigotry no sanction and to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. It would be inconsistent with the frankness of my character not to avow that I am pleased with your favorable opinion of my administration and fervent wishes for my felicity. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. You may recognize that line from the prophet Micah, when everyone shall fit under his, sit under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. May the Father of all mercies scatter light and not darkness in our paths, and make us all in our several vocations useful here, and his own due time and way everlastingly happy. George Washington. Many historical scholars see this letter as the first time that Washington publicly shares his vision of the First Amendment and equal rights. That it's less about Jews versus Gentiles, it's less about the Jews of Newport that he's responding to, and more about setting a precedent that all classes of citizens should receive equal treatment. He repeats that phrase, that the government of the United States, which gives no which gives to bigotry no sanction and to persecution no assistance. And he also repeats the biblical allusions that every Jew shall sit in the safety of his own vine and fig tree. We often think of American Jewish history beginning in earnest at the end of the 19th century with the influx of over a million Eastern European immigrants. 
Many of them are grandparents and great-grandparents. A few of you may have family that came to the West Coast earlier than that, in the mid-19th century, like those German Jews that founded this congregation, Emmanuel. But rarely do we think about the colonial Jews, those Jews who lived through the 4th of July in its beginnings. And it's really inspiring to read Washington's words. In a summer filled with conversations about freedom and equality, the ability of every couple, gay or straight, to marry, a path of citizenship for illegal immigrants, and the right for everyone to vote with no barriers. The day after a holiday that celebrates our freedom from British rule and the founding of this great country, it is inspiring to read the words of 18th century Jewish communities and our first president, to be reminded that from the beginning, there was something truly special about the relationship between America and its Jews that we have inherited in the very fabric of our society and in the vision of our founding fathers, a society that is committed to the pursuit of justice for all classes of people, regardless of what language they speak, where they live, or what religion or faith they hold to be true. Almost 250 years later, we are still striving to realize that vision in full. And while the Jewish community, more days than not, may finally feel free of bigotry and free of persecution, while we finally may feel what those Newport Jews had just had a first taste of, we still feel an obligation to continue the struggle for others who are still seeking that freedom. Shabbat Shalom.